The opinions expressed on this show are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily represent those of Funeral Radio's management or sponsors. Welcome to the Green Burial Radio Program, a show preparing your funeral home for the growing number of families wanting more eco-friendly funeral services. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your hosts, Joe Sehe and Sherry Wolf. Well, welcome to our podcast. We're coming to you today from the American Jewish University, and it's the occasion of uh, the Shepherd Society's annual conference here in Los Angeles. And with us are Rabbi Stuart Kelman and Father Charles Morris, who are both participants in the conference this year and also recipients of the Green Burial Council's 2012 Leadership Award. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. So we're wanting to talk about issues with folks in the funeral service industry that are uh, associated with this emerging market for eco-friendly death care. We know that you've both been working a lot with the folks in the field, and and I wanted just to start off by wanting to know what you really want funeral directors in particular to understand about your particular religious customs, particularly as it pertains to green burial. Well, okay, I, I could start. This is a, yeah, Father Charles Morris. If, I think one of the a potential misunderstanding that maybe some funeral directors may have is that in the Catholic tradition that you have to have a vault, that you have to have a, or a particular viewing, like a three-day, two-day viewing, that you have to have um, a particular like metal, metal casket with the, all the trimmings. Somehow that there's a been a conflation in the last maybe 50 years, what seems to be a, a custom, tradition, a way of, of, of making that transition that the industry, the funeral industry here in the United States with the uh, teachings of the wider church. And the teachings of the wider church uh, really don't touch on any of that stuff. It's basically that there's a sense of reverence, that we are a part of the earth, or we're part of creation, not apart from. And uh, apart from that, there's they say very little, but I mean, except that we do so with a sense of reverence and, um, you know, with the body. There's a, I mean, there's actually a few things that we do require. For instance, they're, they're really done on people holding on to ashes, for instance, a long time, or, or throwing them to the four ones they want buried. They want, you know, the. But aside from those few constraints, they're very, very little that that they that they put on, you know, a particular custom. So. I would say if somebody's not comfortable with someone suggesting, or if you're looking at the cost, or looking at all kinds of you know potential constraints, you want to do your homework and you want to check things out and, and go go to the source, and you'll you'll find out that you know, for instance, as in the case like cremation, cremation was not done in Catholic tradition for generations, hundreds of years, until what, 30, 30 some years ago. Then it became acceptable, but the things, these customs, these traditions, can very easily change and. Uh, I think with the Green Barrel moments, we, we discover, you know, the, the power and the, the reverence and the spirituality of a sense of uh, being reconnected again with God's good earth. This is Rabbi Kelman. I, I must confess that I almost got into this uh, Green uh, Burial movement by accident when uh, someone approached me and asked me if I'd be interested in creating a, in helping them create a new cemetery. I immediately 
thought about the Jewish community, at least in Northern California, around San Francisco, and what the options were for people, um, for Jews in the Northern California community for burial. Uh, and when I began to learn more about what is a green cemetery and green funeral uh, practices in funeral homes, is suddenly the, the question that keeps coming up over and over again uh, that started then and keeps coming up with everyone that I meet is, well, aren't we all in the Jewish tradition already doing some, doing green? It's something that we've been doing for ages. We've been burying in the ground. We've been not embalming. Uh, we've been using as natural caskets as we can possibly use. Well, at a certain point, I began to take a look more seriously at all of these things uh, and found, indeed, that a lot of what we have been doing is what I would call uh, green, but not really. Caskets, for example, uh, in the way that they're made and by the people who make them, which is another category, turn out to be Jewishly, uh, according to Jewish law, uh, acceptable but not really acceptable from a green perspective. Cemeteries as well. The use of concrete is a big problem in Jewish cemeteries. And what I'd like to, to offer to the uh, suggestions to uh, funeral directors is very simply that, that they become aware of some of the environmental uh, aspects of green that are not part of Jewish law, and that they begin to offer people who are suddenly in front of them uh, options. The problem is that that's really not an appropriate time when you can give people a lot of options. That's just not when it happens. So what I really want to encourage funeral directors to do is together with the, the rabbis in the community, to begin to offer learning opportunities throughout the community for the Jewish community in which all of these issues become very prominent. The time for doing this is pre-death, not at death. And I would hope that the funeral directors begin to study and learn a little bit about what it is that they're doing in their own practice that could be green, and not only halachically, according to Jewish law, correct, but also according to what we now believe and know about the environment. And getting to cemeterians as well is, mm -hmm. is going to be a challenge. Mm -hmm. I met Father Morris a couple of years ago, and there was a congregant that wanted a, uh, a green burial, a shroud burial, had some beautiful fabric from the Middle East that was given to her, her mother, and uh, I called one Catholic cemetery that was wanting to go green, and they were not comfortable with that. That shroud burial, and I reminded the the manager that Jesus, I think, was buried in the shroud. He said, maybe so, but he wouldn't be buried here. Uh, they weren't comfortable with it. They had a lot of fear, and I think it's important for the religious community not only to make people be able to understand those connections, but to dispel some of these myths that the chemical companies and, cask and casket and burial vault companies have have been perpetuating. I mean, there's so much fear about burial vaults right now causing... We're one of two countries in the world that uses burial vaults to any significant degree, and yet American cemeterians overall, in Jewish and Catholic and 
non-religious cemeteries. Just can't imagine being able to have burial without them. It's incredible. Right. Well, and back to Red Light Hellman's comment, uh, in working with the council, we hear from uh, cemeteries all the time that that is how they got started. It was either an advocate or families in their community. They hadn't thought about it before. And then, um, and then of course, made that move and created a green burial section. But what I'd like to uh, think about you sharing are those families, those families that you have seen. Uh, you're both involved, of course, with cemeteries that have uh, addressed the needs of uh, families interested in green burial. Tell us a little bit of what you've seen about those families, what they're looking for. Well, what I found with this family was a beautiful experience, and actually on two occasions. One was, this, as I said, this mother that passed, and that was, they had her body was in the refrigerator, and uh, we just, we happened to have, uh, within two days, we were able to get the, purchase the, the grave, and then we had the internment. And what was so neat about it was that the family had that awareness of the need to connect with the earth and that finality in the, the ritual sense. I think we all do, but maybe we're not so much in touch with that interior need that we have or, in our souls. And she had, not only she had a, a tablecloth from Damascus, which she had converted to a shroud, and so when they had members of the family and their, and their funeral director, we, we you know, put the body into the, to the ground at that time. But then she had water from the Jordan River, which she had put in the, on the tomb too. And then all members of the family put flowers in the grave as well as, you know, each take turns putting, putting dirt. And I like to tell the story, and I, you know, Joel's written up on that. At that moment when we put the body into the grave, there was a, a gasp. And people, we all, you know, looked up, and there was a, a hawk with a three, a three-foot raptor, three-foot wingspan, big old hawk just circling right above the grave, and it just circled right to the heavens. And so, you know, we looked for signs that was a confirming sign. And then what happened uh, just over a year later was that we were able to get, you know, her, her, her son died, the woman's son. I mean, his, um, he had cerebral palsy, so he was put in the same grave as his mother. And because there was no, it was just a shroud, the, the fact that so much of the body had come back to the earth that we were able to go down originally with six foot level, this at the, the four foot level. And what they did, there was no collapsing because what they did is, you know, even they started the first finish with a, with a backhoe, but everything else was done with, with hand. So it was tender and it was right there and it was, that wasn't an issue. Um, and it's it safe, you know, it saved them a lot of money too. I mean, in one sense, because it's safe. You had two people in one grave. You had purchased separate grave. You had, you know, the... Uh, no uh, vault costs, no embalming costs. Uh, you know, the shroud was you know made themselves. It was very, very I found them very one of the most soulful experiences I've ever had. Um, my reaction is is um, well, we never had the hawk. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want that too close to the grave, yeah, right? <laughs> but our cemetery, uh, our cemetery is on a little hill at the bottom of which is a public school. Mm. So to hear the voices of children in the play yard when you're doing the funeral, it, it just adds to the, to the nature of death not being final. Uh, and our cemetery is part of the Golden Gate National Reserve, hmm. which means that there are hiking trails. And people are constantly hiking through the area. And since our practice is really ground burial, even with the use of a casket, that first sound of dirt hitting the casket is probably the most awful sound in the world. 
But the metaphor that I like to use when I ask people, and our custom is to have everyone join in putting dirt on top. So the metaphor that I like to use is one of, um, of is one of a child. And one's parent at night, when you were young, tucked you in by putting a blanket on you. And that's what we're doing. We're putting a blanket. It's beautiful. I always thought, too, about one of the cooler things about Green Barrel is the fact that there is a... Um, and it's very consistent both with the Jewish tradition and Catholic tradition, the use of the Pauls, this idea that we sort of come into the world the same way and we go out the same way. And um, everyone can have a decent burial and everyone sort of... Um, there's not one person that has a, a more elaborate funeral or the, the need to, to display. That's a big part of the Jewish tradition, isn't it? That's part of... Um, we have an institute called the Gamaliel Institute, named after Rabbi Gamaliel, an early sage from the, uh, in the Babylonian period, who himself got so disturbed, the story goes, uh, it's in the Talmud, the story goes that he, that, that people in his community were leaving bodies in the street because the families could not afford funerals. He said, when I die, I want to be buried in flaxen shrouds, and I want to be buried in the earth very simply. And in, in death, everyone needs to be equal. So it seemed that um, to name an institute to teach about all of the laws and the practices and customs of death and dying in the Jewish tradition, to name it after Rabban Gamliel, seemed to be an appropriate use of his name. I'm not sure that he would have approved of a lot of the practices that we currently engage in, but trying to get back to the original principles that he started is our attempt to take back these original mitzvot, these original commandments, and make them part of our living tradition right now. It seems to me, too, we have to figure out a way to transform this sales model. You know, people in this field are all there to help people honor the dead, heal the living, and invite the divine, but they have to contend with this, this model that exists. And I learned fairly recently that there was actually a push to get funeral directors at something akin to an MSW up until the 1930s even, to give them some psychosocial, even spiritual training that hospice workers have gotten, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's been pushed back by entrenched interests that wanted to uphold the status quo. That's where I see the religious community being able to make a huge difference. Um, we need to figure something out to, to be able to bring forth a new model and a new ethic. Yeah, one of the things that we're trying to do with this institute is to train people who are around North America, who are actually going to go out, um, teach, learn, study, and transform the nature of the Jewish community in these, with these practices. This is a challenge, <laughs> a big one. But uh, at the moment, there are 40 or 50 people involved in this institute, and that's where about where you want to take back these these uh, mitzvot to be part of our tradition. That's great. Well, we're glad to know that there are people like you in the religious community that, that are doing this tough work. I 
just want to add that I've noticed that, uh, the, you know, on the one hand, there, there's, there's the variation from funeral home to funeral home. Some have, have grief counselors on stay, they have a kind of lecture, and others, they haven't quite get it yet. But on the other hand, I, I know that being part of the green burial movement, it's been wonderful because not only sense that there's like a new sensitivity and some of the directors that I talked to really were excited about this and they're so they're coming on board. The other part is that I've had an opportunity to share that with other directors, even those that haven't been part of the green you know, part of this association yet. But they're hmm and they've and I noticed that having they'll see one funeral and then maybe several months later another when we go out to the cemetery and we have a conversation in the car that there's a hmm. there's been kind of a sh- a shift, you know, maybe more. God, I didn't think about that, or you know, not they don't necessarily say that, but there's a you, you get that sense that there's a, a new felt sensitivity to those deeper issues, things that maybe you didn't learn in mortuary school. Right. Well, it promotes family from. involvement, right. and that's where the difference is. Right. Family becomes involved, and then the funeral director takes a little different role. And and and, 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 and they they experience the, the same. Satisfaction and uh, which is what all good ritual requires. It's not a spectator sport for the most part, you know. And Green Burial has people in the industry back on their heels, and you get these reports I hear from funeral directors all over the place saying, Oh, it was the most moving service we've ever seen. And I ask them explain what happened. Sometimes it was dirt being shoveled on the grave, but it was something that allowed people to take over. Something that family that they hold on to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I just want to add, thank you. Uh, Father Morris for the for the comment in, in that their generalizations about all funeral homes are um, really not accurate yeah. and there are some who are really trying to make an effort at least in the Jewish community to exact, to do a lot of the things that they do and since we bury as close to death as we can a lot of that is very much a part of when people are part of the religious community in which case they're taken care of by that community. People who are not part of the religious community, usually that's more of a problem for us uh, and for them, frankly, because they don't actually know what to do or what would happen and they're left alone, which for us is not really um, an acceptable position and a terrible dilemma. That's really a problem for us. It requires such light hands, you know, to, and, and I always tell that to funeral directors and use the metaphor of the midwife. Um, but my, you know, every situation is different and the grieving process is so complex. My wife does some home funeral work as a hospice volunteer and she was asked to officiate or help um, facilitate a green Jewish home funeral a couple of years ago. And the family, they were just, in such a state that they wanted a shroud burial and she got some muslin from the local fabric store and um, had her, her husband and her sister, the decedent's uh, husband and sister, were so grief-struck they, they didn't even want to be in the room to prepare the body to anoint it, bathe it, or shroud it, which was really, um, it flew in the face of a lot of my wife's training. And they wanted her to help lead this and within a couple of days by the time the burial they had come around 
and they were so glad that someone was there to help them. But I think what we've done, we've been overly prescriptive, not only with ritual in general, I think, but when it comes to end-of-life rituals about how things are supposed to go. And we take people away from what they need to do and give them the time and space to work on their own terms. It does require, I think, it's going to require some new training. And I think that's another thing that conferences like this one help to do, that is these folks aren't trained in facilitating ritual, and they need to be, I think, to right. some degree. Well, this was the first time this conference, in this is the 10th annual conference, which means that before, ten, prior to 10 years ago, there was no, there was never, ever, in Jewish history, a time when people involved in this work got together to, to talk, to learn, and this institute, this Gamaliel Institute, is the first time also in Jewish history that there is a learning opportunity that's where we are, um, but this is the first time ever in Jewish history that there has been an opportunity to learn this stuff, this stuff on a serious master's degree level uh, mode. So, for us, this is this is the start of something we hope that will really impact the the, the Jewish community at least, and hopefully farther than that. Well, we know you both have to get back to the conference. Thank you for making the time to be with us today, and congratulations again on your Thank you, thank you for being here and doing this with us. Yes, yes. Yeah, thank you, Joe.